Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com. We hope you enjoy this message. open we're going to go to Colossians Colossians this is one of my favorite but I say this every time I preach this is one of my favorite sections of, of scripture this is one of my favorite books this genuinely is one of my favorite books in the New Testament this is a, a, a book that I find myself turning to all the time when I read through the New Testament in fact I sometimes have to take breaks away from this book so that I read other parts of scripture as well because who knows the whole Bible is God's word. But there's certain sections, isn't there? There's certain books of the Bible that just really speak to you and certain truths come out that build you up. So, um, so I thought I'm going to read Colossians, some of chapter one today. And we're going to dig into it a little bit and then maybe in, uh, in uh, weeks to come when I'm preaching as well, we may carry on in the book of Colossians as well. So take notes today so that if we come back to this and carry on, you kind of know where we've left off so we don't have to repeat what we went through today. So Colossians chapter one, you got your Bibles ready, we're just going to go from verse 1 to 14. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossia. Now, this, I looked it up on the internet, there's like a million different pronunciations for this. I don't know whether it's Colossia, Colossi, Colossi, so for my sake, we're going to call it Colossia today, alright? So, <laughs> the holy people in Colossia, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told, you, uh, told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually thank God, um, ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. There are some key words for this message this morning. So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This, this book of the Bible, honestly, is, is, is so rich in truth. I mean, every book of the Bible is rich in truth because it is God's word, but there's, there's some real gems that I feel like God wants to bring out in the, uh, in the book of Colossians this morning for us. So, just reading through these early verses, you know, Paul writes to these guys at Colossia to encourage them, and like so often with Paul's letters, if you read the rest of the New Testament, like so often, 
he's, he's encouraging them, but he's having to bring a little bit of correction as well. He's having to do some correcting. This is part of Paul's leadership. It's what happens. Now, how many of you know that, you know, even the greatest churches sometimes need some correction? The greatest of churches, the smallest of churches, the largest of churches, all churches at times in their existence need some correcting. Do you know why? Because we're not God. Because we're humans. Because we're not perfect. And sometimes it's easy to lose our way. And God in his provision, in his grace, you know, gives leadership that follow the heart of God to be able to bring correction. This is what Paul's responsibility is to these people at Colossia. He's got to bring some correction, uh, you know, to this relatively new church at the time with regard to some of the beliefs that they hold. He's got to put, some, put right some, uh, some bad teaching that potentially, you know, some bad damaging theology that this great church at Colossians is getting caught up in. You know, and one of the reasons why I, I like to read this book in the New Testament is because, you know, it's obviously very apparent that there's some disruption in the church. You know, this is a church that started off so well, like so many churches, and, uh, you know, and there's no evidence to prove that it didn't carry on going. Um, you know, we believe that they, you know, took the correction and they carried on growing and they were humble enough to accept it. But, um, you know, one of the reasons I like it is because there's obviously some disruption and uh, the people are being deceived by, you know, false teaching. But then Paul, like the man that he is, just absolutely goes in there like the steamroller that he is, you know, nails his colours to the walls and deals with it, you know, there and then. That's the kind of guy that Paul is. Paul wasn't ever the kind of guy that would lay down and take it lightly. He just rolls in there like a steam train. Colossians is, you know, a book that's uh, relevant to us in this day and age. Again, every book of the Bible. Mature believers should know every single book of the Bible is relevant in this day and age. I know that there's lots of talk in there. How can an ancient book be relevant in this day and age? Well, you know what? Truth is truth, isn't it? You know, air is air. You wouldn't say air's not relevant in this day and age, would you? Just because it's old, air's been around since the beginning of time. Still relevant to this day, isn't it? So Colossians is a book that's extremely relevant in this day and age because I can see so many similarities between the things that we face and the things that they were facing back there in their day. Not only do we live in, uh, in these days what many people see as intellectually advanced, this is an intellectually advanced age, but we also live in the most technologically advanced uh, age of all time. You know, we believe, we have this sense that we've developed somehow. That, you know, mankind, society today has this quite, uh, I would say it this way, it's kind of like this snobbery about us that seems to think that we've progressed a lot further than the previous generations. Centuries that have gone before, they were, you know, their, their thinking was just a bit primitive. They were just a bit naive. They didn't understand like we did because we've had technological advances and we're more advanced. And it's this snobbery that comes over mankind that likes to set ourselves up as our own highest authority. And we think that we don't need God. This is a day and age where, you know, duped by the age-old lie of Satan, mankind still continues to believe in himself and his own ability to solve his own problems. You know, I know the majority of people in this place this morning are Christians, but how many of you know Christians in this place that we, we still do this? Even though you've been saved by Jesus, even though that you, you may have been saved for a number of years, you may have been saved for your whole lives, and you've been going on this journey for a really good long time. How many of you know that there are occasions in your life where you look within yourself and you think, I've got what it takes. I can solve my own issues. I can solve my own problems. 
If all of you were honest, everybody would have her hand up in this place because I know that that's true of me. So Colossians' problem was they had this, they had this fundamental uh, belief, they had this foundational belief that God does exist, that God exists, and that he sent Jesus Christ to mankind. But the essence of this damaging teaching that was going around the church was that um, Jesus wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't just enough on his own. They were being deceived by this belief that they needed to add a few things. They needed to add a few things into the pot, you know, to make it the real deal. Jesus wasn't enough just on his own. And so they were doing things like, uh, they were doing things like praying to mediators, a go-between guy kind of thing. You know, we see this in the Catholic Church of today. If there's any Catholics out there, we love you. It's nice to have you with us. Fantastic. Uh, but, you know, we see this in the Catholic Church where people would pray to saints, where people would pray to Mary, where Christ isn't enough. We can't just go directly to him. So they were praying to mediators. They were, uh, they were praying to angels. And Paul needed to strongly emphasize that Jesus is enough. He needed to bring back the fundamental truths of the Christian faith, which is Jesus is enough. Everything else rises and falls on that truth. Jesus is enough for you. So whether you're a, a, a new Christian or whether you're an old Christian, I want to say this to you this morning. I want this to settle on your heart. Jesus plus anything else, Jesus plus anything else is just religion. It's just cold religion. Jesus plus anything else is useless. Jesus, enough, uh, Jesus alone is enough for you. He is the only one that provides your salvation. You know, these believers at, uh, at Colossia, just a couple of the things that were, that were going on. They were, they were treating their bodies harshly as an act of worship. I don't know the exact details of that. I've not studied it far enough. They were uh, treating their bodies harshly as an act of worship. They believed that by causing their, their uh, flesh pain and fatigue, you know, a modern day example of this may be, you know, you, you feel that you've got to prove yourself some way uh, before God. So you pray all through the night and you get sleep deprived or something like that. You know what? I thoroughly believe, you know, God may call people to that, absolutely. But if you think that that in some way proves that you're uh, better than you are, or, or it proves your salvation or, of some kind, do you know what? That's just cold, hard religion. That's, 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 that's you. That's pride. That's you believing that you can prove yourself in some way, and it's not relying on God and His grace. So they were obsessed with keeping all these religious festivals and observing this tradition and that tradition and every other tradition that you can think of. And so Paul needed to bring some very clear guidance about the Christian faith, essentially that Jesus is all sufficient. Just carry on reading Colossians, the next few verses, uh, we'll, we'll probably bring a few out soon as well. Just read the next few verses, the, the whole, the, my favourite part of the whole book is like this big massive one long sentence that blows all the bad, bad teaching out of the water. Saying that, you know, you were created for Jesus. He was the one that created you. You were created for him. He's all sufficient. Everything rises and falls on him. So what I get from reading this book this week, uh, you know, and just studying and preparing is that Paul, he's got this real uh, desire. He's got this real desire for the, for, the, for the church at Colossia and all the churches. He had a heart for the church, not just his churches. Paul's a guy that had a heart for the church globally. And he wanted people to have a faith that isn't easily fooled. That's what, the message, that's what this message is this morning. That's what I've entitled it. Faith that isn't easily fooled. And we're going to bring out three points soon 
you know, from the, from the verses that we've read, on faith not being easily fooled. And that's exactly what God wants us to have at J28 Church this very morning. You may be sat in this place today, and, uh, and as I say, I don't want to just talk to people that are relatively new Christians, because how many of you know you may have been a Christian for years, and you can sometimes be, be duped into thinking things that are false. It's easily done. It's easily done. God wants us to have a faith that is strong and that isn't easily fooled. So just a little bit of a background to the church at Colossia, and then we're going to move on. Uh, I find it always helps you know, when I, when I have a bit of a background to a book or a, a place in the, in the Bible that, uh, that is being talked about. So the church at Colossia, it was a small church. It wasn't you know, a mega church by any means whatsoever. It was in, Colossia was, a, uh, was at one time a large, quite populated city, but then uh, over time it dwindled down to become you know, nothing more than just a small town really. So this is a small church. In fact, some commentators say that this was a house church movement. They didn't have you know, a building like we do, a certain place where they met. It was a house church movement, relatively small. And Paul leads this church apostolically, meaning that you know, he's got leaders in place um, at the church responsible for the church on a local level. And then Paul leads this regionally. He leads his leaders, so to speak. His leader at Colossia is Epaphras. It's said that while on a visit to Ephesus, a young man... Uh, from Colossia named Epaphras evidently heard the gospel from Paul and was converted and it, it, it appears that he was not only saved but that he was trained and prepared by Paul to go back and plant a church in his hometown of Colossia. So one thing I want us to keep in mind this morning as we're, as we're talking about this, one thing to definitely keep in mind is this, that Paul carries the heart of a pastor. He really, really, really does love these people as he's writing all of his letters, all of his letters. You can real, really sense the heart of a pastor. Even though he's never visited them before, even though he only manages to bring leadership from a distance, he's got a real heart for the church. He wants to see them released into their God-given potential. He doesn't want to see people falling by the wayside because of bad teaching. He wants everybody to be encouraged. He wants people to be stirred up in their spiritual gifts. He's got a heart. He wrestles for these churches night and day. And does anybody know where he writes this letter from? Prison. Who said that? Well done, 10 points. So, he writes this from prison. How many of you would be writing, you know, letters of the Bible in prison? You wouldn't be, would you? You'd be making a weapon to defend yourself or something like that. So, you know, Paul remains uh, this pastor that's seeking to nurture his flock. He doesn't, you know, compose these letters from, you know, some scholar's study, you know, with commentaries all over the wall and, uh, you know, lots of books to read and, uh, and pictures of his loved ones scattered around his office or anything like that. This guy's in a prison cell. How many of you know that an ancient Roman prison as well wasn't, you know, wasn't for the faint-hearted? You know, these were nasty places. You didn't get to, you know, sit up and play PlayStation in your cell and go and lift weights in the yard and eat hot dogs together and have a nice time or anything like that. You were cowering away in the corner because you didn't want to get killed. This is a nasty place where Paul is. So Paul's in this prison cell. He's in his pastor's study. His prison cell acts as his pastor's study. And he begins to write. And these concerns for his flock weigh heavy on his heart. And you may ask yourself, you know, where does this love for God and, lo and love for people come from? You know, and, he, and he alludes to it himself. He says in verses 3 to 5, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from hope stored up 
in you and in heaven, for you in heaven, sorry, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. And that's the, that's the answer. Where does this love for people come from that Paul's got? And the answer is, it, it comes from the gospel. It comes from hearing the good news. If you've experienced Jesus Christ change your life, if you've experienced the gospel and felt his goodness in your life, then there's no way that you can't love people. If you don't love people, if you don't have a heart for people, if you don't want to see people saved and have a compassion for people, then I, I would say you've not experienced the gospel. You've not truly encountered God. So Paul's concerned that, these, uh, that this church at Colossia doesn't lose its way. So one of the, the first point that I want to bring out this morning is this. If you're making notes, write this down. Faith that isn't easily fooled is faith that has great endurance and patience. Verses 10 to 11 says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may, may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. How many of you know God wants you to have great endurance and patience? He wants you to have great endurance and patience because his heart for you isn't that you would be like some firework that burns really hot at the beginning and explodes and it's amazing and it's colourful and it's fantastic but it fizzles out within seconds. It fizzles out quickly. That's not God's heart for his church. God's heart for his church is that a, a light would be lit and that that, that that flame would burn in your heart until you die in day. So don't be naive. God wants mature believers that aren't easily swayed by life's uh, troughs and peaks. You know, uh, I, I read a lot of um, C.S. Lewis. Uh, some of you may, uh, may have read his books. You know, he's a fantastic um, author. And, uh, you know, he, he describes life as a series of troughs and peaks. This is a series of the troughs, the downs, the low moments, the real dark moments where these troubling things happen to you, where you struggle. Everybody that's in this room today has had moments where they struggle. And then life has its peaks as well. Where you're on cloud nine when things are going well and, you know, everything's great and your marriage is great and your kids are healthy and the church is growing and all these kinds of things are happening and it's fantastic. And life's this series of troughs and peaks. But God, in his own unique and incredible way, actually uses these troughs and peaks to bring out that maturity and that endurance and patience that he desires for each one of his children, for me and you. So I really want you to take on board this morning that there are going to be times in your life, again, this is going to seem like a, you know, a, a real fundamental truth to some people, but I feel like this is going to really speak to others as well. There's going to be times in your life where it feels like God has forsaken you. I'm just, that's the truth. It will feel like there's going to be times in your life where God has forsaken you. Jesus himself experienced the same feeling. Matthew 27, 46 says this, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. This is at his crucifixion, one of his darkest moments in his life. In fact, the darkest moment in his life. Three in the afternoon, he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself felt that, felt that same burdening, harrowing feeling. That, Where's God in all of this? Maybe you're feeling that way this morning. Maybe you've been feeling that way for weeks and months and years and you don't know, you know if there's any light at the end of the tunnel. I want you to be encouraged this morning. It's one of life's troughs. And if you allow it, if you allow yourself to submit to God, if you humble your heart, 
enough to say, I actually need God. I can't be my own saviour. I need Jesus Christ. Then he'll actually teach you. He'll help you to grow. And you'll become a bigger person off the back of it. Jesus experienced that very feeling of separation from God so that me and you wouldn't have to feel the ultimate separation feeling of God. How many of you know that that's, that's at the end of eternity? You may feel it in this life that God has forsaken me. The truth of the matter is God never forsakes you because the Bible says so. The Bible says so and God's faithful in keeping his promises. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. For the Lord goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But nevertheless, there are going to be occasions in your life when the truth of the, and the reality of that promise that God will never leave you or forsake you will escape your heart. It will escape your mind. Your emotions will come into play and you'll feel you know, a bit low. And the truth and reality of that promise won't, won't feel like it's penetrating your heart. You'll be left with that harrowing feeling that I'm on my own. Remember, that isn't actually the truth. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's what the Bible says. But your flesh, your emotions, and your mind, they have this, how many of you know they have this strong tendency, this strong habit of being able to influence, uh, influence how, you, how you're feeling? Your flesh always plays a part in how you're feeling. We live in a, you know, a world and a society today where you know, we make up our own minds about what truth is, don't we? We make up our own minds about what truth is. We're prone to inventing our own truth. We, you know, we make ourselves and our opinions and our preferences and our desires like the ultimate authority. It's something that's been common to the human condition you know, ever since the beginning. And that's the way that truth gets defined by what we want and what our preferences determine. And it rejects essentially the, the truth that Jesus Christ is sufficient for us, is all sufficient, and that everything rises and falls on him. An example of this, you know, we, we make our own truth. You know, it may be people's preference to not want to honour and, and love their wife and for wives to not want to honour and love their, their husbands. And because we live in a day where, where truth gets defined by what we feel, by what we prefer, we take that as truth. We reject God's word. We don't want to love our kids. We don't want to love our wives. You know, this is just one example. So do you know what, uh, for me, what, one of the great signs of maturity and endurance is this, that when, as a human being, you're faced in your life with this feeling, this burdening feeling that God has left us and that he's nowhere to be seen, but yet we still obey. But we still obey. That's the real sign of maturity and endurance. In your darkest moments, it may feel like God isn't there with you, but the truth is, he is. You cannot allow your emotions, you know, the way you feel to determine what truth is. You have to turn to God. Because our hearts lie to us. The Bible says that, that our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. You know, an example of this, you know, you can't follow the way that you feel. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, how many of you have got babies out there or have had babies, which is a lot of you? How many of you know that newborns have this tendency to think, I swear they sleep with one eye open. I'm on, honestly, I think they sleep with one eye open and look at you and think, right, you've had 45 minutes sleep. Now's the time. <laughs> and they start crying. They start bellowing and they're inconsolable and you think to yourself, my word, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> it may just be easier to get up and it's like three in the morning. You're like, what am I going to do for the next four hours? I don't even start work till nine o'clock. I can't escape this. 
So you may feel like you want to go downstairs, go through the front door and go and sleep in the garage and leave the kid on its own. But the truth is, the truth is, that would be neglect, wouldn't it? And it would be cruel and it would be selfish and potentially very dangerous to the baby. So you can't do it. What I'm saying is this faith that isn't easily fooled resists being led by our feelings. You know, many people have walked away from Jesus. Many people have walked away from the church because, you know, it didn't feel like, you know, it met their expectations or, you know, what he, uh, what he required of them didn't just, didn't quite fit their agenda or didn't fit their plan for their life. And so they reject the one that is truth for a false truth, truth that we invent in our hearts. And I, I just want to say this morning that God isn't there for us to mold or to shape. God is God. It, it, you know, he's not there to be manipulated. You may feel like you can, but, you know, God is God. Like the world's full of opinions about who God is, doesn't it? Like, does he exist? Is he good? Does he approve of this lifestyle or that lifestyle? Is he, you know, is he an actual being or is he just some kind of cosmic force? You go down the street and ask lots of, lots of different people their opinions of God and you'll come back with, you know, a million different statements, wouldn't you? Human opinions never shape or mold or change God. God is who he says he is. And who he says he is, is revealed to us in his word. You know, he gave us his word so that you wouldn't be easily fooled. He gave you his word so that you wouldn't be easily fooled by the ever-changing tides of different teachings and this and that coming along and that person's opinion, this person's opinion. Get your Bibles out. I know it sounds old-fashioned, doesn't it? But, you know, I don't mind being old-fashioned in that sense. Get your Bibles out. Read it. Spend time praying. Make the Bible your highest authority. It's got a track record of 100%. People that follow it do kind of all right for themselves. So you need to know this morning that God wants you to be able to stand on your own two feet and follow him. There's something about uh, the, the nature of God that refuses to override you know, the human will. The will that he gave us, might I add. There's something about the nature of God that doesn't want to override the, the human will. His longing isn't that we would just follow him and love him, but it's that we would actually choose to follow him and love him. It's almost like God gets glory from his creations, actually making a conscious choice through their will to follow him, so that they're not just like robotic things dragged along. Now, of course, God could easily carry us through every situation. He could easily wipe our noses when you know things get tough and tears are in our eyes. He could easily do those things, but he doesn't. He wants his children to be mature and able to follow him. From time to time, like every good loving father, he does take his hand away. That's the truth. The truth is that he's always there with you. He'll never forsake you. But for the maturing process, sometimes, like every loving father, he takes his hand away. You know, just this last couple of weeks, I've been trying to teach Noah how to read, uh, to, how to read his bike, how to, how to ride his bike. Uh, without stabilizers on and he got pretty good with stabilizers on but obviously you don't want him to get reliant on them because I want him to be able to come on a, on a bike ride with me and be able to ride for himself so we're going down the street and I've got both hands on his shoulders you know and I'm trying to affirm him I'm telling him he's doing great and of course there's certain times where he starts to stumble a bit to the side and thinks he's going over and he's scared that he's going to get a grazed elbow or something like that and there's going to be blood everywhere and uh, he gets nervous, so then, you know, dad's reassuring voice comes in and says, you know, you're doing fantastic, I'm here with you. I can feel my hands on his shoulders. But then as he starts to get it a little bit, 
One hand comes away. And then as he starts to get it a little bit further, both hands come away. But nevertheless, I'm still there. I'm still there behind him. And so what I'm saying is this. I know it's a bit of a, a simple analogy, isn't it? But the maturing process of growing up in God in your life, it's, it's like learning to ride a bike with your dad. Some of you out there would probably sit there and say, well, that sounds far too simple, doesn't it? Do you know what I found? God is, God is pretty simple. God is pretty simple in the way that he wants to follow us. He just says, look, I'm your dad, and like a good loving father, learn from me. Learn from me. Allow me to teach you. But please hear me loud and clear on this. Before anybody's uh, fooled into thinking, you know, in a prideful sense, that at some point in your life that means that you don't need God because he wants us to stand on our own two feet so you know we're independent. You're never independent. He created you. God's will isn't that you would grow up and not need him anymore because that essentially is the heart of pride. And let's not forget, you know, pride pride's like the original, the original sin. It's what got Satan kicked out of heaven in the first place. All other sins have flowed from that point. So resist the heart of pride that makes, you, that makes you feel like you can be independent and not need God. This process uh, is, is a process that doesn't end. It's a lifelong process. He'll always be there helping you to grow. You're always going to need to rely on God. And at the moment that you feel like you don't need him is the moment that you fall off a bike. Pride comes before a fall. So the second thing, faith that isn't easily fooled knows that Jesus is all sufficient. Verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on, uh, on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I think it's safe to say Paul leaves no, un no stone unturned there, does he? Any element of false teaching saying you need to add this and that and the other to Jesus, you know, gets blown out of the water there, doesn't it? Jesus is all sufficient. To everyone in this place today, you've got to know Jesus is all sufficient. He is your salvation. He is him and only him is your salvation. Don't be fooled by anyone into thinking that you need to, you know, uh, you need him plus something else. Maybe you live your life this way. You don't want to admit it. Let this just settle in your heart. Today. Jesus plus anything else, like I said earlier on, equals useless. Jesus plus, you know, the right kind of clothing. You know, I, I grew up in, in church when it, it, it seemed like you had to, everybody had to wear the right kind of clothing and everybody had to look a certain way and speak a certain kind of way and that kind of thing. You know, what, you, where's your tie? You know, I didn't realize I had to wear one, to be honest. You know, come on, grow up, read the Bible. Read the Bible, Jesus plus giving. So I give X amount of, of, of money to the church every month or I give X amount every year. Fantastic, you should give. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches us. But it doesn't add to your salvation. 
doesn't gain you salvation. Jesus plus serving really hard. Oh, I was down that church, you know, for hours and hours and hours this week doing the spring cleaning. Or I've been at that church hours and hours and hours doing the gardening. I'm just using these examples, by the way, for you guys who have been helping out with that. I've been serving at the church for so many years, I'd love to think of all the time that I have to give up. Do you know what? You should serve again. It's like giving. The Bible says that you should serve. You should be committed. But it doesn't gain your salvation. It doesn't alter your status in the eyes of God. You are just a sinner saved by grace. You weren't a good person when you got saved. You got the, the, we, we make these categories, don't we? There's these categories, and we see it in society today, good people and bad people. God says there's one category, bad people. Bad people. And this is what you've got to understand if you want to be saved in the first place. There's just bad people that are separated from God. That's what Romans says. There's none that is good. And then by the grace of God, Jesus Christ coming to this earth, dying for us, being our all-sufficient saviour, you have the opportunity then to have your heart mended, to have your heart regenerated, for you to become a new creation, a new being. Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. So I hope this revelation is, is beginning to, to dawn on you. You know, Jesus plus anything else just doesn't work. It's him and him alone. We're going to finish uh, in a minute, so I'll just invite the, the worship team if you can come and join me. The last point is this. Faith that isn't easily fooled understands the gospel. Faith that isn't easily fooled understands the gospel. Verses 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Strong language, isn't it? Paul doesn't butter it up. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If, so he doesn't let you off scot-free, he says, if you continue in the faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. I remember somebody asking me once, you know, if you had to explain the gospel in just a couple of minutes, would you be able to do it? And I thought, I don't, I don't know, actually. I think I'd need a good 10 or 15 minutes or something like that, to be honest, to feel like I could do it justice. And then I read this passage in Colossians, and I thought, wow, yeah, I can. I'll just read that. That explains it brilliantly, doesn't it? This is the gospel. The gospel literally means the good news. The good news of what Jesus has done for mankind. Faith that isn't easily fooled recognizes that there's been a separation between God and man. If you're in this place today, and we welcome absolutely everybody, it's fantastic to have people even of other faiths, even of other religions, whatever your worldview, even if it's different to ours, you're still welcome in this place. But faith that isn't easily fooled realizes that there's been a separation between God and mankind. It happened right at the start. And it's been causing a mess ever since. Just turn on the news this morning, you'll see see that it's mess and mankind fools ourselves into thinking that you know rehabilitational work and uh, you know all we've got to do is tell people that deep down they're good people me and Lucy were having this conversation this morning and you know it actually makes me well up and uh, get a little bit emotional actually we fool ourselves into thinking that all we've got to do is tell each other that we're good people but actually the fundamental truth is that we're not good people there's just bad people, saved by grace. People that have fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that's not a popular message and it's not going to win you lots and lots of fans. It's going to get more critics than, than anything else. But who, who cares? Because I've experienced the truth in my life and it's set me free. 
And I know there's people all across this place that have been set free from that truth as well. Because you stop hyping yourself up and thinking that you can be your own saviour. So we are going to do an appeal this morning. In just a moment's time. We struggle, we struggle, don't we, throughout this life to piece together the puzzle of, you know, who I am. What am I here for? It's a question that even if you're not consciously asking yourself that every day, your lifestyle, everything that you do asks that question. It screams that question, doesn't it? Your whole being screams that question. Who am I? What am I here for? We have this constant, persistent urge to worship. And I bet you can't explain it, can you? I used to think this to myself. We, you know, we worship people. We worship possessions. We worship our jobs. We worship money. We worship body image. God forbid anybody sees me when I haven't got my makeup on. Or God, God forbid anybody sees me if I've got a little bit of weight on and I need to lose a little bit of weight. We worship body image. We worship people's opinions of us. We're always, we're always trying to worship. We're always worshiping because God created us as beings to worship. But the thing, the disconnect is this, that you don't realize until you meet Jesus, the intended object of our worship was always God. God made his creation so that creation could worship the creator. Makes sense, doesn't it? It sounds simple when it's said like that. That's because it is simple. Romans says we, we, we stopped worshiping the creator and we started worshiping created things and it made this identity problem with us, within us so that we didn't know who we are anymore. And it causes all kinds of problems and you get depressed and you get anxious. And you're always trying to prove yourself. You're going through life, striving and stressing. You always find things to try and make yourself feel better, whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it is. It may not even be those things. It may be just simple little subtle things. You need to know this morning that you were created to worship. And you were created to worship the Creator. When you get that realization, when you get that revelation in your life, it's almost like you've then got a foundation to actually build your life upon. That foundation is Jesus. When you stop building your life upon him, it feels like everything stops feeling like this and it actually fits into place. You don't need to be insecure anymore. You don't need to feel like you've got to prove yourself. You may find it hard to believe but we've been aim aimlessly wandering around without knowing our true identity. That we were created to know God and be known by God and have Him and Him alone fulfill our needs. Maybe this will just speak to a few people in this place this morning. If there's things that you're pursuing in your life because you feel like it's going to give you fulfillment. I don't know whether it's a, a relationship with some guy or, or some relationship with some girl or whether it's some substance or a job or anything like that I just, I just want you to know so you can't go out of this place and feel like you didn't hear the truth today it won't satisfy you it won't satisfy you at all there's one thing that human beings can find satisfaction in and that's Jesus Christ and when you have Jesus Christ as the foundation like I said and you build your life upon that and then the right man comes along or then the right girl comes along and it actually feels like it fits then and it's not just a big mess and you get the right job and you feel like you're working this job and again it feels right it doesn't feel like a big mess because you're doing it for the glory of God you're not just doing it to elevate yourself let the foundation be Jesus I 
know there's like waves and waves and waves and waves of like Christian thinking where there's always the latest and new revelation coming in and all that kind of thing. And you know, and, and some of it's fantastic, some of it's garbage, to be honest. But we always have to come back to the first fundamental truth, don't we? Jesus is all sufficient. Jesus is the foundation of our lives. If we come back to that, take my word for it today, you can quote me on this, your life will be better. Your life will be solid. You won't have half as much strife. Things may not go right for you, what you think are going to go right. You may not be rich, like Adele Lewis said. Bless him, I hope we are, but <laughs> you may not be rich. You may lose your job. You may suffer loss. Somebody in your life may die. Things, horrendous things happen to people. Like, like I said, again, just turn on the news. Something horrendous happened in London last night. Things go wrong in life, but you got the rock as your foundation. You've got Jesus as your foundation. So then, this is, the, this is the way it works. When it gets to the end, because every single one of us is faced with death, the other side of eternity is like the ultimate. Whatever you're facing now, if it's depression, if it's anxiety, if it's a fear of separation or something like that, the culmination of that ultimately is on the other side of eternity. Whether you choose Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him, find fulfillment and satisfaction and worship him forever and you spend time in perfection forever and ever and ever or if you feel it, otherwise it results in the the ultimate separation it results in the ultimate anxiety it results in the ultimate depression 